fact, this one might be the most repeated command of Christ through the four Gospels. Let's stand, if we can, for the reading of God's Word. Matthew 4, we're going to begin in verse 17, and we'll read down through verse number 22. As is our custom, we'll read these verses responsively. I'll begin in verse 17 by myself, then we'll begin reading together in verse 18, and read in that pattern down through verse 22. The Bible says in verse 17, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Together. And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going going on from thence, he saw other Two brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father mending their nets, and he called them. And they immediately left their ship and their father and followed him. Here's the command of Christ we'll highlight this morning. It's these two words. Jesus said this. He said, follow me. Follow me. We are to be disciples who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I do pray this morning that you would guide my words, my tongue, as, Lord, I preach your word. And I seek to make it practical for each one that's in here. Lord, oftentimes in a sermon like this, we lie to ourselves and we deceive ourselves to think that we're better than we are. I pray, God, that each one here, me included, would be brutally honest with where we're at in our journey to follow you. And Lord, put your finger on areas, on Lord, uh, those, um, those partitions that we have uh, put up to wall you out of certain areas of our life and show us where our heart is not in line with you. And Lord, help us to be disciples that follow you in every way. Show us where we are on this journey and Lord God, guide us to be better at it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, there was a young lady who had just graduated high school, and she's very excited about going to college, and she had one particular college in mind that she wanted to attend, and so she got the application printed off the internet and began filling this thing out where she would mail it in, and uh, all was going well as she filled out the application until she got to a question that asked, are you a leader? And so being very honest with the application and conscientious of who she was, she wrote down no and uh, mailed the application off, uh, discouraged, feeling like that one question would have disqualified her uh, from being uh, accepted. And so a handful of weeks went by, and she received a letter from the college in the mail that read this. It said, Dear Applicant, a study of all the application forms reveals that this year our college will have 1,452 freshmen new leaders. We are accepting you because we feel it is imperative that they have at least one follower. (laughs) I'm really thankful you laughed at that. The 815 crowd just stared at me when I told that joke. (laughs) Now, there are many natural-born leaders... And then others try and force themselves into that role. How many of you here today would say that you are naturally a follower? Would you raise your hand if you're naturally a follower? All right, let me word it this way. If you're naturally a follower, raise your hand. See? You quickly rose your hand because the leader told you what to do. And so you had no problem following, didn't you? Um, If you're a leader, would you please raise your hand? All right. See how I asked? You don't tell leaders what to do. You encourage them and then they do it. Um, everyone is either a natural leader or a natural follower. But can I say, whichever, clap, whichever one of those you fall under, all of us at times in our life are called upon to lead, whether we're ready for it or not, whether we want to or not. Um, and uh, I want to make this statement. And if you're taking notes, let me encourage you to write this down. You cannot be a great leader until you learn first to be a great follower. You cannot be a great leader until you first learn to be a great follower. It's so important. There are a lot of people who want to lead, but they can't follow. 
I had, I had a pastor tell me one time, he said, I've got an assistant pastor and I'm just so put out with him. He doesn't want to do anything I tell him to do. And this is not me. I'm not the one that said that. I'm thankful for Pastor Andrew. He's, he's, a, he's a good follower. But he, uh, this pastor was venting to me. He said, I, this guy just won't follow. He won't do anything I tell him to do. He's got his own opinion. He's got his own way of doing things. Then he made this statement. He said, I think it's better he just goes off somewhere and pastors his own church. And I looked, I was talking to the, phone, the pastor on the phone, and I said to him, I said, I completely disagree with that statement. And he said, why? And I said, if your assistant pastor cannot follow you, then he is not qualified to lead anybody. You understand that you can never be a great leader until you first learn to become a great follower. Let me show you an example of this in Scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul said this, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said, follow me as I, what? Follow Christ. So watch this. Paul was saying, as long as I am following Christ, I want you to follow me. Watch this. Paul's saying, I'm going to follow Christ, and while I'm following Christ, I want you to follow me. You, I have no right to lead you if I am not following. You should not follow me if I'm not following the leader in front of me. He's saying here, in the areas where I follow Christ, follow me in those areas. In the areas of my life where I do not follow Christ, do not follow me. Now, Jesus has called children to obey their parents, wives to submit to their husbands, citizens to obey the laws of their land, and church members to submit to the authority of their pastor. But all of us who are saved, have been called to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us. All of us. And you know what? Sometimes uh, I have jurisdiction. If you're a member here, I have jurisdiction over you. In other areas of your life, I have no jurisdiction over you. And there are areas where a boss has jurisdiction over you. And then there are other areas where the boss doesn't get to tell you what to do. You check out of work, you go home, boss has no say in your life. There are areas where a spouse maybe has a jurisdiction. And then there are some areas where maybe a spouse wouldn't have jurisdiction. But can I tell you, the Lord Jesus Christ is to be king over every area of your life. Every area of your life. What you listen to, what you watch, what you wear, where you go, how you talk, how you live. Who you gossip to, you shouldn't gossip. The Lord should have full say over everything in your life. You are to follow the Lord. How many of you and you're a child played the game follow the leader? Played the game follow the leader, okay? That's a fun game, isn't it? It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's more fun to watch other people play it than to play it yourself. Okay, so the leader uh, uh, waddles like a duck. And everybody's lined up behind him, waddling like a duck, right? And then the uh, leader starts to hop up and down, right? Go, using hopping to get where they're going. And then you, know, you see all these people hopping behind him. And then, you know, uh, I had to work this one in for Veterans Day. Then the leader gets down and does an army crawl. And you see all these people doing an army crawl, these kids doing an army crawl. What's the idea there? Whatever the leader does, we're going to do. Now, Jesus has commanded us to follow him. And, as we will see in the sermon today, sometimes what he asks us to do is radical. It is radical. But watch this. Jesus does not ask you to do anything that he has not already done himself. There is nothing Jesus will ask you to do that he himself did not come down to this earth and already do. So we're going to look at this morning this idea of following Christ, I propose that not every saved person is a disciple of Christ. In fact, the large majority of people who are saved are not followers of Christ. They are not following Christ. They're going to heaven, but they're not totally following Christ. Why? Well, they're busy pursuing their own kingdom and their own agenda. There are... There are many on their way to heaven, but they're selfishly living life for themselves, or they're selfishly living their life for someone else. They're not really following Christ. 
They've wandered way off the path. They're pursuing the wrong successes. Christ looks at those who are saved and gives us this command. He says, follow me. Say that with me, church. Follow me. Let's look at the passage of Scripture, uh, or rather the pages of Scripture, and consider this command and all that is involved. All right? These thoughts are going to build one on top of the other. So get your pen out and be ready to take notes. Ready? Number one, here we go. The price of following Jesus. The price of following Jesus. I came across a great quote in preparing for this sermon. I don't believe the quote will be on the screen, but I would like you to write this quote down if you're able to do that. Here it is. A religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. A religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. Oftentimes, we want our religion to just be as simple as showing up to church on a Sunday morning. We check a box and we move on with our life. And um, that's not how this goes. Our religion ought to cost us something. We ought to be willing to suffer some things. Letter A, notice about the disciples. They left behind their careers. They left behind their careers. Look with me back at Matthew chapter 4 and look at verse number 18. Matthew chapter 4, look at verse number 18. The Bible says, And Jesus, look at here the story, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea. Read the rest of that verse with me, will you? For they were fishers. So what did these two men do? They were fishermen. That was their career. Are you listening? They went and they caught fish and sold them at market and they were able to pay their rent and pay their bills and buy their houses and and they were able to, to get through life because every day they're out on the Sea of Galilee and they're catching fish and they're selling them. So they're out working their job. Look at verse 20. And they straightway left their nets and followed Him. They forsook their career. And going on from thence, He saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother in a ship with Zebedee their father mending their nets and he Jesus called them and they look at here they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him and so James and John are working for their dad who owns the Zebedee fishing company and Jesus comes along and says I want you to leave what you're doing and I want you to follow me and these four men Andrew Peter James and John they walked away from their careers in order to follow Jesus, what a radical step. In 1903, a young, brilliant man named William Borden graduated from high school a millionaire. Why was he a millionaire? Because he was heir to the Borden Dairy fortune. Following graduation, William traveled around the world. Everywhere he went, he was touched by the needs of people. He eventually wrote to his parents to announce that he was going to give up his stake in the company and give up his fortune and devote his life to Christian missionary service. He took out his Bible, and in the front cover of his Bible, he wrote these two words in capital letters. He wrote, No Reserves. No Reserves. He enrolled in Yale Divinity School in 1905, right here in New Haven. William quickly became the spiritual leader of that entire campus. The student body was composed of 1,300 students. By the time he graduated, 1,000 of them were meeting regularly for weekly Bible fellowships. Not only did he lead on-campus worship, he also led off-campus inner-city ministries as well. The New Haven Rescue Mission was started by William Borden while he was a student at Yale. Upon graduating, he repeated his intentions to be a missionary, and he enrolled in seminary. Upon receiving his ministerial degree, he decided to take a one-way trip to Egypt where he would learn Arabic in order to reach Muslims with the gospel. 
Leaving all of his fortune behind, he set sail. On the way, he wrote two more words in his Bible. Below, no reserves. He took out his pen and in capital letters, he wrote two more words. He wrote, no retreats. No retreats. He arrived in Egypt, full of anticipation. He immersed himself in the task at hand. But within just a handful of days of his arrival, he became very weak and very sick. And he was soon diagnosed with spinal meningitis. A short while later, William Whitting Borden died at the age of 25. Human logic can never understand his death. He gave up what would be equivalent to $10 million more or more today. He gave up a life of comfort and ease to go and die in Egypt trying to serve the Lord. Yet an ocean away, hundreds and thousands were impacted because of his joyful, willing sacrifice. That's the way William would have wanted it. During the last fleeting days of his life, in labored handwriting, he penned two more words in his Bible. Below no reserves and no retreats, with a dying hand that was quivering, he wrote two more words. He wrote the words, no regrets. No regrets. Throughout my life, I have known many men who felt so burdened to follow Jesus that they gave up six-figure salaries in companies to go and serve Jesus full-time with their life. I began to think about a modern-day example of someone who has done this. And I, we support a missionary who was here last year named Brendan Morgan. Brendan Morgan held a position in a large company out on the West Coast. He made six figures, uh, uh, more than just six, I mean, it wasn't seven figures, but well above the 100,000 mark. He lived in a very nice home. In fact, a home that many of us would label as a mansion, a home that would be worth two or three million dollars here in this area. He resigned his position. He sold his large home. He's now living in a tiny apartment with his five children and wife in Japan, serving as a missionary, preaching the gospel. God does not call everyone to walk away from their career, but He does call each of us to give our hearts energy to building His eternal kingdom. Can I say this before we move on to letter B? God is calling a whole lot more American Christians to walk away from their career than are doing so. But we're so locked down on making money, and we're so locked down on living in the lap of luxury, that we're not able to hear the voice of God and His call to build His kingdom. They left behind their careers. Letter B, they left behind their comforts. They left behind their comforts. Turn over to Matthew 8 in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 8. Look with me at verse number 18. What is the price of following Jesus? What is the price? Well, the price is radical. But the price is not a price that Jesus didn't pay. Look at Matthew 8. Look at verse 18. The Bible says, Now when Jesus saw great multitudes about Him, He gave commandment to depart unto the other side. And a certain scribe came and said unto Him, Master, look here, He says, I will follow Thee whithersoever Thou goest. Now, before we read verse 20, can I just say that if someone were to come forward at the end of the service this morning, and if God's moving in your heart, I hope you'll do this. But if someone were to come down to, and shake my hand down the front here during the invitation and say, Pastor, God is calling me to follow Him, whatever that means, no matter what, no reserves, no, uh, uh, no regrets, uh, uh, no retreats, I'm all in, Pastor. I'm willing to walk away from a career. I'm willing to do whatever the Lord wants me to do. You know what I would do? I would go home walking on the clouds. I'd be so excited that someone was that devoted to the Lord. 
But Jesus wasn't all that excited because Jesus could see the man's heart. Look at verse 20. What did Jesus say to this man who's volunteering to follow him? Verse 20. Jesus said unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man, speaking of himself, hath not where to lay his head. In essence, Jesus is saying, Okay, gut check time. You want to follow me? Then you're agreeing to potentially living a life of poverty and maybe even homelessness. You say, really? Yep, that's what Jesus was. He was homeless. You know what Jesus said to him? He said, foxes dig holes in the ground and that's where they hide from the elements. And birds, they build nests and that's what they call home. He said, I don't have a brick and mortar home. He said, you know where I sleep? I sleep under the trees. I sleep under the stars. He said, you know what I do sometimes when I go to a town? I crash on a friend's couch or I borrow their guest bedroom for a night on my way through town. Jesus, you say, Pastor, that's radical. And I'm not trying to hold back here. I'm trying to preach the truth. Jesus is not asking me or you to do something that He was not willing to do. I remember when I was 12 years old, I went down to the front of a, of a, of a camp setting, a Christian camp setting, during a, after a powerful sermon was preached. And I surrendered my life to do whatever it was God wanted me to do. And can I tell you, when I went forward and made that decision, can I tell you what was in my head, what I was thinking? I was thinking that God was going to call me to live in a mud hut in the middle of nowhere in Africa. When I went down and surrendered to serve God with my life, I was agreeing to do anything up to that with my life. Now, when we... Am I living in a mud hut in the middle of Africa? No, I am not. I get to live in a very nice home in a very wealthy part of the world. But if God came tomorrow and said, I want you to sell, to sell all you have and move to Africa and be a missionary and live in a mud hut... Here am I, Lord. Send me. That needs to be my attitude, and that needs to be your attitude if you want to be a follower of Christ. Now again, Jesus is not asking you to do something He did not do. I'm going to make a statement that you and I can't comprehend. Here it is. Jesus left the greatest comforts of heaven. You don't know what that means and neither do I. We have no idea the comforts that Jesus had as He sat on the throne of the universe in heaven and had angels worship Him and everything just perfect. And you know what Jesus did? He left that throne. He came to earth to be born to peasants who had nothing, who had no money. They were so poor, wise men had to come from the east to bring them gold, frankincense, and myrrh to help pay for his own childhood. He was laid in a cattle trough uh, at his birth. He was raised in a part of town where Philip would say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Uh, he, he, uh, he had nothing to his name. In fact, uh, to come in for Palm Sunday, he had to borrow a man's donkey. To have one last meal with his disciples, he had to borrow an upper room. In fact, he was so poor, he had to borrow a man's tomb in order to be buried, but he left it empty. Amen? Jesus was poor. He had no place to lay his head. He abandoned all of those things to be a no-man prophet, preaching the truth and loving people who were broken. Jesus was not concerned with being comfortable. But I am and so are you. We value comfort. We grip comfort, and we don't want to let go of our comfort. And Jesus said, I didn't call you. Bearing a cross isn't comfortable. Bearing a cross is suffering. Bearing a cross means you have to be willing to suffer. Jesus looks at this man and he says, okay, you want to follow me? Just know that I have no place to lay my head at night. In fact, just a few verses later in the same passage, we find his disciples way out of their comfort zone. Look at verse 23, Matthew 8. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. 
And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves. That's pretty descriptive. You get the image. But he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. It probably sounded more of something like this. Lord, save us, we perish. Right? I mean, the boat's getting ready to tip over. I don't think they whispered in his ear, Lord, save us. We perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the seas, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds should obey him? So picture how all this is playing out. Jesus looks at this man who wants to follow him and says, Okay, you want to follow me? I've got no place to lay my head. Just so you know what you're getting into, alright? Full disclosure, you're going to be homeless if you follow me. I don't know if that man followed him or not, but just a few minutes later, the disciples of Jesus are getting in a boat. Jesus is exhausted from his labor, and so he finds the little room in the boat, and he goes and lays down on the bed, he finds a pillow, and he goes to sleep. So they're crossing this Sea of Galilee, and this great storm comes in. And I mean, it's raining and pouring, and then the waves are getting bigger. And next thing you know, the waves are coming in and clapping in and landing into the boat. All of the men are getting wet, and Jesus is just there on a pillow. He's sawing logs. He's sleeping. And you know what? They're thinking at some point, you know, the boat's going to get, the boat's going to get rocky enough. He's going to wake up. But did Jesus wake up? No, he did not. He just kept sleeping. I mean, Andrew's hanging over the edge of the boat, puking up his guts. Jesus is over there asleep on a pillow, all right? Excuse the, the visual, but you get the idea. How many of you ever been out on a boat and been seasick, all right? You know what I'm talking about? So, I mean, it's bad, right? And so finally they're like, look, what, someone's got to wake him up. And if you want my guess, I think it was Peter that went in and woke him up. Because Peter had no problem just speaking his mind. Master! Will you wake up? Terrace, thou not that we perish. Can't you see? We're about to die. And I see Jesus rolling up, sitting up, stretching. He was a human. You don't think Jesus ever stretched and yawned? I bet He did. And He stands up and He's sort of stumbling around and He says, Oh, ye of little faith. And He walks out, storms falling, and He says, Peace, be still. And all of a sudden, the storm ceased. Those disciples left behind their comforts in order to follow Jesus. Now, God probably will not call you to live in a mud hut in some tribal land like the jungles of Brazil or Peru or Africa. But He may, He will, let me say it that way, at some point ask you to step out of your comfort zone and do something that you don't want to do for Him. Are you willing to follow the Lord? The price of following Jesus. They left behind their careers. They left behind their comforts. Letter C. They left behind their cares. They left behind their cares. And when I talk about cares, I'm talking about their familial cares. They're left behind their family cares. Now, uh, Matthew chapter 8, look at verse number 21. Matthew 8, verse 21. And another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus with ice in his veins. I'm putting that part in there. That's in the Greek. Amen. But Jesus said unto him, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. Wow. This man says, can I at least go bury my father? And Jesus says, nope, let the dead bury their dead. Now, let me tell you what I think that means and doesn't mean. That may sound like a cold-hearted response, but Jesus was not saying, skip tomorrow's funeral service. He was saying, look, if you want to wait around for your mom and dad to die in their old age before you come and follow me, then you're not worthy to follow me. If you're waiting to take care of your family first before you commit to being my disciple, let the dead bury their dead. You, you need to be here following me. You say, Pastor Lejeune, am I supposed to prioritize God over my own family? Don't take my words for it. Take the Lord Jesus Christ's words for it. 
Listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, verse 26. He said, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, this verse taken to its extreme sounds like that you need to, you know, divorce yourself of all family members, live in isolation, and ignore your family. That's not what this verse is saying. What this verse is saying is that your love for God should be so extreme that your love for your family pales in comparison. It ought to be that in my life, the Lord Jesus Christ is so far up on the list of number one, and my wife and kids are so far down at number two, that that gap makes it look like I don't love my family as I ought to, because I'm so radically devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, it's going to cost you something. It may cost you your career. It may cost you your comfort. It may cost you your care, your family care. But at the end of the day, I want you to make some sacrifices and I want you to follow me. We live in a day and time where people are hunting for a church or an online preacher that will scratch your ears and tell you something that's comfortable. You can have it all. You can have your cake and eat it too. You can go to church and love Jesus and read your Bible and get your version app out and read the verse of the day. And that makes you godly. I'm sorry, friends, there's a little bit more to it than that. We're going to follow the Lord. We have to give our entire being to doing this. Here's what a lot of Christians look like right here, okay? They got one world, one foot in their, in their kingdom, and they got one foot in God's kingdom, and they're doing their best to just hold on and have both. And God says, no, I want you all in on following me. Again, A religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. The price of following Jesus. Okay, pastor, that's a steep price. I'm willing to, to try and step up and pay it. What are the benefits in following Jesus? Well, there really are benefits. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 25, He said, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall, uh, will lose his life for my sake shall find it. So you're going to give up your life in order to completely follow Christ. You're going to end up finding your life. So what does that look like? Number two, we see the peace from following Jesus. The peace from following Jesus. I'm going to move through these here. John chapter 10. Take your Bible over there. John chapter 10 and verse number 27. John chapter 10 and verse 27. You're a great audience to preach to this morning, and I'm grateful for your attentiveness and your tender hearts. Thank you for coming in this morning with a great spirit about you. John chapter 10. Look with me at verse number 27. Jesus here is speaking to some hostile uh, Pharisees and He says this. He says, My sheep hear My voice and I know them. Read the rest of the verse with me. And they follow Me. My sheep hear uh, hear My voice. I know them and they follow Me. What does God offer those who devote to following Him? Letter A, He offers peace in His provisions. Peace in His provisions. Now, I want everyone to listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. The Lord Jesus wants to offer you the provision of everlasting salvation. Look with me at John chapter 10 and verse 9. Jesus says there, He says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Look down at verse number 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. How did Jesus provide us peace? Because you and I were born under a curse, under a condemnation of sin. You and I were born in our sin, damned to hell. I know that strong language, but that's Bible language. And do you know what Jesus did? He left heaven's throne. He came to earth to be born 
of a virgin. He came to earth to live a perfect life, which he did. He came to earth to lay down his life to pay the price for you to be saved. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Well, the entry point is that salvation. You open up your heart and you say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me. And you know what? There is a great peace in knowing that one day I'm going to go to heaven and live forever with Him. I made that decision when I was just a four-year-old boy, but I'm going to tell you right now, I cannot imagine, listen, I cannot imagine having to go to bed tonight, put my head on my pillow, wondering that if I were to die in my sleep, whether or not I'd go to heaven or hell, wondering what would happen to me. That would be horrifying. And you know what I do when I put my head on my pillow at night? I go to sleep knowing that if I die in my sleep, I'm going to open my eyes in the presence of Jesus. Because I've gone through that door. And I know I have eternal life. But He not only provides everlasting salvation, He also provides us with eternal security. Look down at verse number 28. John chapter 10, verse 28. The Bible says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So the moment that you believe in Jesus, uh, He wraps you up in His hands to where you can never perish. I'm going to need some help here. If I could get um, uh, Orsino to come up and help me just real quick, and if I could get Brother Nate to come up here and help me, okay? The moment that you believed in Jesus, um, uh, put your hand out like this in, in the form of a ball, okay? Jesus comes and He wraps you up just like that in His hand. And then God the Father comes along and He wraps all that up in His hands. You see that right there? Nobody's going to get you out of the hands of Jesus and then especially nobody's going to get you out of the hands of Jesus and God. You are locked tight. Your eternal fate is sealed. Uh, You don't have to worry about the ups and downs in life. You may have a moment where you lose it on your spouse or a child or a boss. You might have a time of backsliddenness in your life. You may have a time where you're not faithful to the Lord, but He's got you just like this and He's never going to let you go and nobody will ever come along and pull you out of His hands. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? Thank you, man. You're not going to let me go. All right. What does the Lord provide to His followers? What's the benefit package of paying that price? Well, He gives you the peace in His provisions. Letter B, He gives you peace in His protection. He gives you peace in His protection. Look at verse number 11 of John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hiring fleeth, because he is an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. So I want you to imagine you have some sheep. And there's a shepherd. And that shepherd has taken the time to love each one of those sheep. He's given each one of them a name. He knows their personality. He knows uh, their stubbornness. He knows their strength. And all of a sudden, he has a family trip. A family business he has to deal with. So he goes and he finds a hireling who's going to come in and watch those sheep. And so the hireling comes in and the shepherd who has this intimate relationship with his sheep, he leaves. And while that hireling is standing there watching those sheep, a wolf comes up. A wolf comes up looking to devour one of those sheep. Do you know what the hireling does? He runs as fast as he can. To get away. Because he doesn't love those sheep enough to stand between them and the wolf. But do you know what a shepherd does? He gets that sharp stick out. Let's talk pre-gun error, okay? He, 
Now he just John Wayne's them, right? Pow! <laughs> Wolf is dead. But uh, back before the uh, back before the, the the gun was a thing, back when the Bible was written, he gets that sharp stick out and he stands between the sheep and that wolf, and he stabs at that sheep until he kills the wolf, or uh, he stabs at that wolf rather until he kills the wolf, or the wolf runs away. And you know what? He puts his own life on the line to make sure that each one of those sheep are protected. Now, when you give your heart to Christ and you decide to follow Him, you have your good shepherd standing between you and life's hardships to protect you and help you and love you. Uh, Listen, I would rather go through life with very little financially and very little materially knowing that I have a Lord Jesus Christ who saved me and is protecting my salvation and is protecting my well-being because He is my good shepherd. Peace in His provisions. Peace in His protections. Letter C, peace in His promises. Let me just give you two. There's more than two in this passage. But let me give you two out of John 10. Look down at verse 3. He provides steadfast leadership. Look at verse 3. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep... He goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. I'm thankful that my um, I'm thankful that my wife knows me as well as she does. In the sixteen and a half years we've been married, she is the person on planet Earth who knows me better than anyone. The second person in life who knows me second best is my mother. My mother. And sometimes when I'm going through a hard time, I will call my mother and I will talk to her about it. And I will tell her what's going on and then I'll hear this. Richard, I know this about you. Are you leaving that part out of the story? How many of you remember when your mom would call you by your first and middle name? How many of you do that to your kids? You swore you'd never do it, and now you do it to your kids, don't you? The Lord knows your name. If I can back up on something I said a moment and just slightly correct myself, the person who knows me the best is not Angela, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows me better than even my wife knows me. You see, He knows every thought I think. He knows every word I say. And you know what He does? He meet. Listen to this. He meets me where I am on my spiritual journey and He lovingly and carefully and sternly leads me in the right direction. I meet so many Christians who are lost in their marriages. They're lost in their parenting. They're, they're, they're lost in their spiritual direction. You know what they look like to me? They look like the, the Israelites wandering around the wilderness with just no direction. And you know, when you just get in behind the Lord and you choose to be His disciple, He leads you to a place that is wonderful. Hey church, ten years from now, when we get to 2033, I want to look back at 2023 and say my marriage is a lot better now than it was ten years ago. I want to look back uh, at 2023, 10 years from now, and say my walk with God is much... I'll be getting ready to turn 50. My walk with God is much richer and deeper now than it was when I was getting ready to turn 40. 10 years from now, I want to look back and say my children are far more godly than they were 10 years ago because of the leadership that God has given me as I followed them and they followed me. I led them along. What does the Lord Jesus offer those who follow Him? Well, He provides peace in the promise of steadfast leadership. Look down at verse 9 and 10. John 10, 9 and 10. I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved, shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Notice the contrast here. Jesus says, I am come that they might have... Church, what's that next word? And that they might have it more? Abundant life. 
Not only does He offer us steadfast leadership, He offers us spiritual abundance. If you were to take me down to New Canaan or Westport today and show me all of the multi-million dollar homes that line that street, show me the people that live in there that have financial success but are spiritually bankrupt, and say, would you trade places with any one of them? I wouldn't even have to think about it. The answer would be no. How many of you agree with that statement? Does your day-to-day actions match up with that? You see, we, 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 we're shrinking spiritually or we're, we're, we're stunted in our spiritual growth because we're so busy pursuing things in life that just don't really matter. And as a result, you know what's missing in our lives? The peace of spiritual abundance that God wants to give you. You see, when you choose to follow Christ, the price is high, but the peace is rich. Let me take us to point number three, and I think this will be a journey that all of us need to go on. Let's talk about the process of following Jesus. I really want you to give me your attention for about ten more minutes here, and I'm going to wrap it up. We're going to go to John chapter 13. Turn over to John chapter 13. Now, tonight we'll be in John 13, 1 through verse 30, going verse by verse through John for the rest of the calendar year here. Be John 13, 1 through 30. The title of the sermon tonight is Lessons from the Last Supper. We're going to look at that story of the Last Supper there. Um, and I want to encourage you to be back tonight. In fact, I want to implore you. If I could come to you and get down on my knees and beg you, and that made a difference, I would do that. Listen, seriously, clear your calendars tonight and be back. On top of the preaching, we're going to remember the Lord's great sacrifice through the Lord's Supper. If you're elderly and you need a ride, see me after church. I will arrange a ride. I want you to be back tonight. Please, please, please make every effort to be here. At the end of uh, the chapter, Judas leaves to go betray Jesus, and Jesus is challenging his disciples, and Jesus gets into a back-and-forth conversation here with Simon Peter. And when we see about following Jesus, there is letter A, our initial enthusiasm. Fill that out in the blank there. Our initial enthusiasm. Look at verse number 36. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter saith unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. You see what's going on here? Peter is so devoted to the Lord. He's so passionate about following the Lord. He's given up his career. He's given up comforts. He's given up his own family. He's got a wife and mother-in-law and possibly even children back home. He's there following the Lord in that upper room. And Jesus says, I want you to follow me, but I'm going to go to a place where you cannot follow me. Speaking of his own death. And Peter says, no, 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 Lord, I'll follow you no matter where it is. And the Lord Jesus said, no, you won't, Peter. And then Peter says, I'll follow you to the death. And Jesus said, Peter, you're not ready for that. In fact, before the evening is over, you're going to deny me three times. Do you see where Peter was? He was in a place of great enthusiasm. He was in a place of great passion. He was all in for the Lord. Oftentimes Christians get saved and they're so on fire for God. And I love that zeal. But what happens if we're not careful is we become Alka-Seltzer Christians. We make a big splash. We have a big fizz. And then we disappear. And Christians, what we need to do is we need to understand that that enthusiasm is important, but we have some growing and some maturing to do. Letter B, we see our inevitable exasperation. Our inevitable exasperation. Look at verse number 38. Jesus saith unto him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock or rooster shall not crow, Till thou hast denied me thrice. And that's exactly what Peter did. I want to preach to your heart for a few minutes here. This man, who was so determined to go to the death with Christ, 
would end up denying Him three times in just a few short hours. And you know what Peter did as a result of that failure? He quit. He quit. In fact, chapter 21 of this book, at the very beginning of the chapter, Peter looks at his buddies and you know what he says? He says, I go a fishing. You know what that means? I'm going back to the career that I had before I started following Jesus. I'm done following the Lord. I'm going back to fishing. I quit. I can't do it. I won't do it. Anyone who's been a disciple of Christ long enough has realized Peter's disappointment. Many Christians have failed to follow Christ in some way or another. And so they no longer go to church. They've given up on reading their Bibles. They no longer pray. They've given up on living a life of godliness. Listen, it isn't that they're bitter at God. It's that they're deeply disappointed in themselves. Because they let God down. They were so passionate at one point. They loved the Lord. They loved going to church. They loved serving at the church. They loved giving in the offering plate. They were enthusiastic about supporting whatever the church had going on. They helped in the nursery. They helped in the children's program. Maybe at one point they even worked on our buses that go out and bring boys and girls to church. Uh, they, they loved to clean the building. And they loved to, to, to serve their family. They got their family in order according to the Bible. They memorized verses from Bible. They were doing well. And all of a sudden, they failed. Where are they now? They're sitting on the sidelines, licking their wounds, disappointed in themselves. That's where Peter was. Peter, filled with enthusiasm, until he failed. Boy, he was exasperated with himself. Letter C, we see our integral experience. Go to John 21 and we finish the sermon here. John 21, verse 15. Here's the great thing about Peter, and the same thing is true for you. Jesus did not give up on Peter. Peter gave up on himself, but the Lord did not give up on Peter. In fact, in his resurrected state, he found him naked. In chapter 21, the Bible says Peter was naked. Now, how naked was he? We don't know. But he was at least shirtless, right? Uh, he's naked. He's out fishing in the boat. He's back to being who he was before he met Jesus. And all of a sudden, John says, the Messiah is on the shore. Uh, there he is on the shore. And so he throws a jacket on. He dives in the water. He swims to the shore. And what has Jesus done? He's prepared a fish feast, a fish fry for breakfast for them. And they have breakfast uh, together. Look at verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, Son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Very, verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, that initial enthusiasm, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, speaking of how he would die by way of crucifixion, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee, whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, read those next two words with me, church, follow me. Here's how I picture this story going down. Peter comes up on the shore. He gets his plate of fish. He goes and finds a rock to sit on. And he's sitting there away from the other disciples and he's eating his fish. And Jesus comes over 
And he sits on a rock near Peter. And he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, looks right at him. Peter, do you love me? And here Peter is. Excuse me for um, um, adding details. Alright? Admittedly, I'm doing that. This is speculation. Alright? He's looking down at his plate. He won't look up at Jesus. Jesus is staring a hole through him. Do you love me, Peter? Yea, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. The Lord looks at him again. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. The third time, Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, Peter, look me in the eye. Look up here at me, Peter. Look me in the eye. Do you love me? And the Bible says Peter was grieved. You know what I think that means? I think that a tear began to run down his weathered fisherman face, drip off of his chin, and he says, Yea, Lord, you know that I love you. You know all things. And Jesus said, Then get up and follow me. Hey, some of you here this morning used to be a follower of Jesus. You still come to church and look like a follower of Jesus, but deep down in your heart, you're discouraged and you've quit things that you used to do. And Jesus is looking you today in the eye and He's saying, do you still love me? Then get up and follow me. I hope one day you're filled with the experiences of failing and getting up and dusting yourself off, getting back up and following the Lord. At the close of life, the question will not be, how much have you gotten? But rather, how much you have given. Not how much you have won, but how much you have done. Not how much you have saved, but how much you have sacrificed. It will be how much you have loved and served, not how much you were honored. You can only learn to give, serve, sacrifice, and love from getting in behind and following our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What is the command of Christ? Follow me. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Lord, I pray this morning that you would prick our hearts. There are those sitting on the sidelines who have tried and failed and they are discouraged. They came into this discipleship thing with all the gusto in the world and then they failed. And Lord God, now they're not doing what they ought to do. They're not being who they ought to be. Lord, I pray they'd get up and dust themselves off and they'd get back into the fight. They'd get back into being a disciple. Oh, Lord God, convict our hearts this morning and show us. Somebody here this morning needs to make the commitment to follow Jesus no matter the cost. May there be those today that audibilize that and state that verbally in this service. Lord, it would be a wonderful thing if someone walked the aisle and wholly surrendered their life to follow you this morning and was public about it. But Lord God, You work in hearts and You show us how You want us to move forward. Holy Spirit of God, convict us. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Lejeune, there was a day and time in my life I gave my heart to Jesus. I know I'm going to heaven someday. Not because of who I am or what I've done, but because of what Jesus did for me and I put my faith in Him alone. If that's your testimony, would you hold up your hand right where you are? you know you're going to heaven because you've believed in Jesus alone to be your Savior. You, you may not remember the day, but you remember the place and the time. Or you, rather, you remember the place and the occasion when you gave your heart to Christ. You can put your hand down. Is there one here today that would say, Pastor Lejeune, if I were to die today, I'm not certain I'd go to heaven. If that's you and you're here today, you don't know where you would go if you died. You're not sure 
of your eternal destination. You do put your head on your pillow at night and you wonder. My friend, I don't want to embarrass you. I want to pray for you. If there's one like that here today, would you just raise your hand right where you are? I don't know where I'd spend eternity. Would you pray for me? I'm not going to embarrass you, but I would like to pray for you. I see one hand. Is there another? I'm just not certain. If you raise your hand, we would love to help you get that matter settled. Down here at the front, in a few minutes, many people will come and kneel, I believe. And I would like to invite you to come down and let us take the Bible and help you get that matter settled. How many of you here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, I need to renew my desire to be a follower of Christ? Something in the sermon today, the Lord put His finger on something in my life today. Pastor Lejeune, pray for me that I'll be all in on being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. If that's you, would you hold your hand up? I want to be a disciple of Christ. I want it no matter the price, no matter the cost. I want His peace. I want all that He offers. Lord, would you help us this morning? Help each hand that was raised. Lord, I pray that you'd help them. Lord, help me as well. Help us to make commitments and decisions that stick and stay and are not just heartfelt, emotional uh, decisions, but Lord, decisions that matter. Changes that come about in our life as a result. Lord, may this altar be filled with people today who want to love you and serve you and Lord, make changes in their life. If there's one here today that wants to commit their life to be a full follower of Jesus Christ. Lord, may they come and make that audible today. In Jesus' name we pray.